Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today. Today's story is from Leicester and is a familiar theme on this podcast. A secret love affair, promises made and shocking consequences. The twins are crying, the twins are hungry, Lauren is crying, Lauren is exhausted. Behind the hospital curtain, someone is waiting. I'm delighted that this show is sponsored by the excellent debut novel from Melanie Golding, Little Darlings. Have you read it yet? It's taut with suspense. The sort of novel that I know you'll love and you won't be able to put down. Make a note of it now. Little Darlings from Melanie Golding. I read it in a day and it's been my book of the year so far from me. I loved it. And everyone is talking about it. It's available in paperback, so please check it out today. That's Little Darlings from Melanie Golding. This week's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. That is Better H-E-L-P. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Maybe you're struggling with confidence or to get back to what feels like normal after a bereavement. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling done securely online, which is much more convenient and financially affordable than traditional offline counselling. And by scheduling weekly video or phone sessions, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. Take a look at what customers are saying about the service at betterhelp.com forward slash reviews and how it's helped so many people. So please visit betterhelp.com slash true crime that's better h-e-l-p and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and there is a special offer for listeners to the uk true crime podcast as you'll get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash true crime and before we begin a huge thank you to all my supporters on patreon but especially the new members of this exclusive club that's Leon McKenzie, Jar L, Helen Smith, JY, and to Laurel Christick, who's increased her support. Thank you all so much. I really, really do appreciate it. And also, just quickly, please do take a look at uktruecrime.com, where you'll see details about a performance of a play in March by listener to the show, Michael Punter, called Wax. It's at the Waterloo East Theatre. Take a look at uktruecrime.com, all about his inspiration for the show. Let's take a really quick look at the music we were listening to at the time of today's events. That's the 24th of December, 2014. Number one in the UK charts was Ben Hennell with Something I Need, which had replaced Uptown Funk. In the US, Taylor Swift was at number one with 1989. But don't worry, as it was Christmas, the buble wasn't far away at number seven with... Mm, Christmas. That was it. <laughs> In Australia, the top album of the year was That Man Again, Ed Sheeran, with X. And in the news this month, the third and thankfully final Hobbit film, Battle of the Five Armies, was released. Tragically, I didn't get a chance to see it as I was washing my hair. Elsewhere, Darren Wilson, the police officer who shot dead unarmed black teenager Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, resigned. Australian rugby league legend David Pocock was arrested after protesting against a coal mine under construction in an Australian national forest. Six people were killed after a refuse lorry crashed into a group of people in Glasgow's George Square. 
and in UK true crime news, Suffolk doctor Miles Bradbury pleaded guilty to abusing 18 young cancer patients in his care in Cambridge between 2009 and 2013. He was sentenced to 22 years in the slammer. Today's story comes from Leicester, a city in the East Midlands with a population of around 330,000, located 100 miles northwest of London. 20 miles southwest of Leicester is Coventry, and it's on the outskirts of that city that today's story starts, at the Costco store to be more specific. The manager of this branch of the warehouse group was 41-year-old Roger Cooper. He was ambitious, and had progressed from stacking shelves in Asda to developing a career in Costco, which started in Watford before transferring to stores in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Leeds, Aberdeen, London and Bristol. He lived with his partner Susan, but his private life was becoming increasingly complex as he was having two affairs, both with women he had met via his job. One with a worker in his direct team, Sinead Sweeney, and the other with Costco Regional Marketing Manager, 34-year-old Samina Imam. When we joined the story in December 2014, the pressure was increasing on Roger. Sinead had recently become pregnant with his child and then had an abortion, and Samina, she was pushing him hard to make the break from his partner so they could live a life together. Samina lived in Cardiff and operated in a cluster of Costco stores as a marketing manager. As senior members of Costco's staff, both knew what a negative view the company took of workplace affairs. Although to Samina, this was no grubby workplace affair based just around sex and having fun. This was the real thing. And she knew that Roger Cooper felt the same way. He'd been open about his partner, but Samina knew that he had the same feelings as her and so to push the situation forward, she'd set him an ultimatum. Either he left his partner to be with her by Christmas, or she would walk away from the relationship. And he had told her he'd been happy to do that, but he delayed the original date of leaving Susan, which was the 30th of November, and actually went on to buy a new house with her. But this time, Samina was certain he would do it, and this Christmas Eve, she was so excited and full of anticipation about their future together. Roger and Samina had planned to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day together in the Malmaison Hotel in nearby Birmingham, before hopefully enjoying the rest of their lives together. On Christmas Eve, she nipped away from the office to buy the final bits from M&S, as I like to nip to the local garage on Christmas Eve to get my wife her present. The choice of CDs can be remarkably fine. But there was no buble for Samina, who as she popped out of the office, Instead, bought a bottle of Bellini and a tub of sweet treats. At just after 4pm, Samina and Roger left work within minutes of each other in their separate cars, before meeting up a short distance away, where Samina unpacked the contents of her BMW into Roger's Aldi, and leaving her car in a quiet side street, they headed off for Christmas in Birmingham. En route, Samina spoke to her sister, asking after their mum, and confirming that she would join the family in Ilford, Essex on Boxing Day for their Christmas celebrations. But Boxing Day arrived and there was no sign of Samina at the family home, and no reply on her mobile. This was completely out of character for Samina, and so her family reported her missing to police, who immediately took this case very seriously, suspecting she had come to harm, and named the investigation Operation Ceramic. Like me, 
Do you recall the media appeals that Christmas? The first break came for detectives on the 4th of January, when they recovered Samina's car on a quiet street in Luton, Bedfordshire. This was almost 70 miles from Coventry. Why was it there? Had Samina driven to Luton, or had somebody dumped her car in the quiet residential street? Immediately to detectives, the car didn't feel right. The driver's seat had been pushed too far back for someone of her height and build. She was five foot two to drive comfortably, and there were no prints at all inside the car, showing that they'd been wiped. This confirmed the worst fears of detectives, that they were now no longer involved in a missing persons case, but it was murder. They now shifted their attention to locating Samina's body. Data from Samina's mobile phone took detectives directly to Roger Cooper. In the police station, Roger was in floods of tears and revealed that he'd received a text from Samina on Christmas Eve at 7.07pm saying, I'm fuming. I'm going to where I'm truly cared for. He took this to mean that she'd be going on holiday. And another message was sent from Roger Cooper's phone to Samina on Christmas Day, wishing her a Merry Christmas. But detectives checked out his alibi for Christmas Eve and discovered that he hadn't been in Coventry. He'd actually visited his younger ex-soldier brother in Leicester and that Samina's phone had been in the same location at David, his brother's house. And moreover, they were able to clearly prove that he had sent the text to himself from Samina's phone and had turned off his own phone on purpose so that he wouldn't receive the text until he was back home in Coventry. But automatic number plate recognition cameras and CCTV also clocked one of the Cooper brothers. Detectives couldn't be certain which one, driving Samina's car to Luton. On searching David Cooper's house, detectives found the bottle of Bellini she'd bought from Marks and Spencer's for Christmas in his fridge. The other food she'd bought was in his cupboard and her sat-nav was in his loft. Faced with this overwhelming evidence that Samina had been at his house, David started to talk. But detectives were shocked to hear that it had not been Roger who had harmed Samina, but David. He told them he'd killed Samina with chloroform on a towel. He said he had pressed it against her face to stop her talking, and he didn't mean to kill her, but just to sedate her while he worked out what was going to happen next. But neither David or Roger were saying where the body was, and David's house was an utter tip. He was a hoarder who threw nothing away. Detectives sifted through the rubbish in the house, but were unable to find Samina or any further clues to her whereabouts. But then they were tipped off about an allotment in Leicester, owned by David, and on arriving there they found a recently dug plot covered with only plastic sheeting. When they pulled away one corner of the sheeting, they knew that they had found Samina. Her family were told the terrible news, and that faint glimmer of hope was extinguished as they tried to comprehend that Samina had been murdered at just 34 years old, with seemingly everything to live for. The post-mortem was held the next day at Leicester Royal Infirmary. It confirmed that Samina's body was covered with a green plastic bag over her head, with a scarf underneath. She was in a sleeping bag and had a brown towel covering part of her torso. Cling film had been wrapped around her lower thighs down to her feet. The doctor carrying out the examination concluded, in this case, the information I needed to determine the course of death was in the toxicology. In my opinion, 
Mrs. Imam died as a result of the chloroform. Detectives believe that the murder was premeditated and shockingly found further evidence that this wasn't the first time the brothers had tried to kill Samina. They tried earlier in the month on the 12th of December at the Premier Inn in Solihull. Knowing that Samina was staying there after a Christmas party, Roger had asked her to meet him at the hotel, saying he also had a room booked and he had a surprise for her. But Roger had no room booked, but his brother David sat in the car park in a hire car where he planned to kidnap and murder Samina. The brothers loved Star Wars and thought they were being oh so clever communicating in the Star Wars code with messages between them on the night saying, Death Star complete. Stay on target, stay on target. You are expecting Vader. But the plan failed, and Samina made it safely from her taxi to the hotel, leaving Roger to text his brother, this time in French, saying, There's no point, no score. The window of opportunity is closed. But on Christmas Eve, the brothers succeeded in their plan. Detectives believe that Roger had never had any intention of splitting from his long-term partner and was increasingly concerned that Samina would expose to his bosses at Costco about the affair and he would lose his job and this is why he decided that she had to be killed. Detectives believe that the couple had left work on Christmas Eve and Samina had got in Roger's car as we heard. The couple then drove to Leicester to see David which is when Samina called her sister. Samina would have believed this to be a short social call on the way to their hotel in Birmingham to drop off a present or something. They arrived at David's around 5pm when the streets were already dark as is the way in the Midlands in the middle of December. David and Roger are big units at 6'5 and 6'7 and detectives believe that David attacked her almost immediately before killing her with the chloroform he had bought from eBay and a mix of other items which was later described in court as a bizarre combination of metallic elements, including antimony, cadmium, tin, mercury and arsenic. They were all thought to have been administered to Samina in liquid form. And at 6.25, an hour and a half almost after arriving, Roger had left the murder scene, leaving his brother to dispose of the body, so that Roger could begin his alibi with the fake text supposedly from Samina and David is likely to have waited for his own partner to have arrived home from work before burying Samina at his allotment. The media at the time, if you recall, made a lot of the notice hanging in David's allotment shed which stated, Don't wind me up, I'm running out of places to hide the bodies. The brothers then did all they could to cover their tracks by moving Samina's car to Luton and ensuring that all the fingerprints were removed but the mobile records, APR, CCTV and the items found in David's fridge meant that detectives felt they had the evidence required to secure two murder charges. The trial took place at Birmingham Crown Court. QC Hassan, defending Roger Cooper, told the court that his client was innocent. David and Roger both pleaded innocent to murder. Hassan told jurors, There is no dispute by Roger Cooper that he was having an affair with Samina. On Christmas Eve, he told her he was going over to his brother's house. He said that Samina had asked if she could join Roger, but after arriving in Leicester, she hurried back to the car and sat in a rear seat. QC Hassan went on. She was shouting at Roger Cooper. She was angry about the lack of trust and respect and told Roger Cooper 
that he had crossed the line. She was sobbing, crying, shouting, hysterical. She clearly thought, you may think, that her privacy had been invaded when he had asked his brother to go and spy on her. By the time they neared the end of the M69, she was extremely angry and demanded that he stop the car so she could get a taxi. She did not want to be near him a moment longer. He stopped at a Tesco. She gathered up her things and stormed off. That was the last he saw of her. The testimony from David Cooper's partner was, I thought, interesting. Samina is thought to have been killed between 5.07pm and 6.26pm. But when his partner arrived at David's house, at around 7.45pm, she thought there was nothing unusual about David Cooper or the house. She also said that she'd helped him clear weeds from his allotment earlier in the month. How can you be as if nothing's happened when you've just committed murder? I find that quite hard to understand, don't you? For the prosecution, Timothy Spencer QC said that Roger Cooper had driven to his brother's house in Leicester at around midnight on December the 4th. This is just after Roger had postponed leaving his partner for Samina the first time. This is not a coincidence, QC Spencer said. Roger Cooper arrived shortly after midnight and stayed for some time. A short time after Roger Cooper had gone to David's house, David was searching his computer for chloroform. At the time of the search, Roger Cooper was already back in the Coventry area. Roger Cooper is very, very careful not to get his hands dirty. He goes to great lengths to distance himself from anything he regards as incriminating. He leaves it to his brother David to do the questionable searches against chloroform, but I repeat, it's no coincidence. At 2.24am the next morning, David Cooper's eBay account was used to buy anti-ammonia, metal powder and ammonium chloride. At 11.51am on December the 5th, the account was used to buy mercury chloride and on the 8th of December it was used to buy 200 millilitres of chloroform. The jury didn't believe either brothers and at the end of the six-week trial came back with a unanimous verdict of guilty and both were told they would spend at least 30 years in the slammer. Judge Patrick Thomas QC told the siblings, The use of a poison in a case such as this demonstrates a cold-blooded intention to kill, regardless of the consequences. He worked together hand-in-glove in planning and carrying out the murder of a joyful and bubbly young woman, brutally betrayed by a man she loved and his brother. It was a long-planned deliberate murder of a young woman whose misfortune it was to have fallen in love with you, Roger Cooper. You killed a bright, selfless, ambitious, hard-working and life-loving woman. A daughter, a sister and an aunt, because that fact was inconvenient to you. You, Roger Cooper, took her to Leicester to your brother's house. Exactly what happened there you know and no one else does. But I am satisfied that hardly had she entered the house when you two tall, strong men held her helpless while one of you administered chloroform, probably in a cloth to her face. Both Roger and David Cooper remained calm and did not look at each other as they were sentenced and taken down to begin their, and taken down to begin their time in jail. After the trial, Samina's dad said, Samina was very special to me and my wife. I could talk for days about Samina and what she meant to us and her sisters, brothers, nieces, nephews, family and friends. 
and it breaks our heart that we cannot have her back home where she should be. As a family, we are absolutely devastated at the loss of Samina. Nothing could ever have prepared us for hearing from the police that they believed that our daughter had been murdered. We were praying and hoping that Samina was still alive and holding on to any little tiny bit of hope we could that the police were wrong. You almost have a feeling that she has died and begun to grieve, but then you go back on to holding on to any little shred of hope that she may come back to us alive. It's so hard for us to even imagine that an innocent, kind, beautiful girl could be murdered, let alone our daughter. We are still in shock and we are all missing Samina in so many different ways. Everything in our life and future has been affected, even to the point of worrying about our other children and grandchildren going out and thinking they won't be safe. And Imran, Samina's younger brother, said, The circumstances in which Samina was murdered plagues me greatly. I constantly think of her last moments and her final thoughts and fears. Samina was a mentor, a guide, a counsel during difficult times. I will no longer be able to seek her advice. I am forever reminded of her loss with constant triggers to memories from her life. Worse still, with triggers such as road signs for locations, which I understand are linked to her death. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Another shocking case. As so often we hear on this podcast, I struggle to understand such drastic, unnecessary violence, don't you? Why didn't he end the relationship, get a new job, come clean with your boss, but to murder an innocent person whose only error was to fall in love of a man who felt it was okay to act in this way? It is beyond comprehension. Poor Samina, just 34, with everything to live for, and her friends and family would always struggle to understand just why this happened to her. And then why on earth did David Cooper agree to be involved in something that had nothing at all to do with him? Did Roger have some hold over him? Or did he look up to his, on the surface, more successful older brother? Who knows? But as he has tossed his life away, with no chance of parole until he's at least 70, he's a long time to reflect on it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast, the first one from my new home in Scotland. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the UK True Crime Facebook group and join almost 7,500 of us. And to support the show and be in the shout of a day trip to Rochdale with the gang, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime where there are almost 40 bonus episodes, naked videos, and loads of other exclusive content, all for the price of a dodgy pint of lager. So that's all from me for this week, so until we speak again soon, next week to be more precise, take it easy, and most of all, do stay classy. Cheerio for now.